Okay, folks, episode 9. This is a milestone, actually. This is technically, because the trailer's like episode 00, so this is technically the 10th episode that we're recording. We've already hit double digits. I honestly didn't think we'd get this far. So, just know that this episode is already very special, even though the content won't be. Alright guys, so here's a topic to talk about. What's something that you really want to do? And by that I mean, what's something that you really want to learn how to do? Is this like a, you know, like a genie wish where you can learn how to do it and then you don't have to put any effort in to do it? Or is this like controlling for the amount of effort you'd have to put in? Does that make sense? Let's assume that to get to a level that's slightly above mediocrity, you can just magically have it happen. Like if you could just learn any one skill almost instantaneously, what would it be? I'd say it'd be another language because I think it'd be cool to know another language. But like for me, I don't think my brain is wired in a way that just that makes it easy to do it at this point. Like, you know, it's yeah, no, I I kind of agree with you there. But if it if I can like snap my fingers and be sort like semi fluent in a second language, I think that'd be really cool. Uh, This this can be a German podcast if you want. I don't think the that language would be German. Oh, you wouldn't want. Yeah, to learn that's German? that's the next question. Then, Max, what what yeah, do you what think language? the language yeah, would be? Yeah, that's also a good question. Okay, well, you know what? It might be German because I'm thinking like Europe would be a cool place to visit. Although, actually, actually, Japan would also be a really cool place to visit. It'd be something that I would actually see a lot, or somewhere where I could travel that I'd see a lot, right? Yeah. And my first thought was, oh, I'd really like to travel in Europe, but like so many so many things are already English in Europe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's you don't need the local language to get around. Right. Everyone in everyone in Europe knows English. That's already true. Yeah, that's already true for most places that like English is most people's second language, which is why it's right. weird to know English already because people just like get cocky with it and they're like, "Yeah, I don't need another language." The only times where you would need to know the local language if you were is if you were actually like going out to a non-tourist destination. Yeah. Um the other thing is if you're going from a practicality standpoint, isn't it like most people know either Mandarin or Spanish? So like one right. of those, yeah, yeah, you'd cover the most bases with one of those languages. Wait, so that so my second thought was like, all right, so by population, you know, Mandarin. Yeah. But then, what does that get you? Because I have no interest in traveling to China. Right, like, but you know I mean? okay, but think about Spanish. Think about how many. Think about that population growing well, in America or or South America. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so that's a good point. If it's if I'm not traveling, I'm just staying in America. Spanish for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. So so my next thought was, what about Japanese? Because I think Japan would be a cool place to visit. And it's not it's not like Europe where English is like ubiquitous. And so knowing Japanese would actually be helpful. Plus then I could be like the ultimate weeb, right? Who knows? <laughs> I mean, it's a fair point. I think if I had to learn another language, I would almost want someone else to learn it with me. So that I could have someone oh, yeah, that, I could, that I could yeah. that I could communicate with, without like them, because I think that's one of the most underrated things about knowing another language is that with my family, be able to like have conversation with people without other people knowing what you're conversing about. Yeah, having private conversations, right? Having right. private conversations in public, essentially. Now, Phil, would learning a second language be your chosen skill, or would you t- choose a different skill to learn? No. I am 100% fine with just knowing English and German. Okay, so if you could if you could learn another skill then, what would it be? So, I don't know. So I don't know if this is this would be my skill. I'm not 100% of that, 
But I will say that last summer, I was like, I'm going to learn guitar because I think it's a cool thing to know guitar, right? I feel like that's a that's a neat thing. Um, and I did it for about a week and then I quit. And so I was not motivated to learn guitar. I did the same thing freshman year. Guitar is like one of those one of those things where it's like, I sort of wish I could do it, but I'm not willing to put in like the effort to learn it. You know? Right. And see, for me, it's the opposite, because I, I first thought, oh, learn a new instrument. But actually, the amount of effort that I would have to put in is actually pretty small. Whereas if I don't have to put in the effort and I just get like a free pass, definitely language. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so my answer is actually kind of a combination of those. So, Max, you said that you would choose language because your brain isn't like wired for that. Um, I'm going to go with an instrument, but I would go with, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, even though I played percussion, I cannot play drum set to save my life. Like mm -hmm. trying to learn it. I can't, my problem is, like, mentally, I view it as each, like, drum is its own part. And so I'm basically, in my head, playing three different parts at the same time, and I just can't handle that. So I think if I could, like, instantaneously get average at a skill, it would be drum set. Hmm. I feel like for me, it would be, like, drawing or something, like, artistic. Art? Or, like, not even, like, drawing or, like, maybe, like, photography. Like, something creative, because I feel like I'm not very creative. Like Yeah, right? Like, I, I could see myself choosing writing as the answer to this question and get really good at writing. Mm -hmm. I think drawing, because I feel like I it would be so cool to just, like, hand-draw something and, like, give it to someone as, like, oh, look, I drew this for you, you know? Yeah, yeah, that would absolutely but, be like, really cool. But, like, I am awful at drawing. As and, am like, I. I can just I can just draw cartoons, and that's, like, it. And cartoons are easy because they have solid lines. But, like, the stuff some people do with, like, shading. And oh, like, like, the more realistic-looking yeah, stuff? Yeah, and that's just, oh, like, yeah. incredible. Blows my mind. I'm like, how do you know that's how, like, a pencil works, you know? It's crazy. Oh, yeah. So that would be, Jesse, like, just let us know when you're recording there, bud. I am recording. Hi. Hey, Jesse. Jesse. It's Jesse. Whoa. We're talking about skills that um, we wish we could just, like, instantaneously get good at. Yeah. Yeah, the question the question is if you could pick one skill to instantaneously become slightly above mediocre at, what skill would you pick and then you got to give a reasoning for it. Yeah, so I'm going to I'm going to run with the drawing here. I don't know if that's like my top choice, but I did try to pick up drawing this quarantine. Do you guys know this? No, no, this so doesn't come up for us at least. So yeah, when I um I it was just something I, I felt like I was overthinking everything, so I was like I need to do something to stop overthinking. And drawing was one of my ideas of thing i could do and so i looked i on google for like um books about drawing and it all like super intense like just like all these shadings and different color pencils and like oh my gosh i didn't even like know where to begin and like the example drawings were like that's not for me so i finally found one that works i'm holding it right now it's called uh step-by-step -step drawing uh for kids ages 9 <laughs> to 12 and it's perfect it gives me basic shapes, basic line structures, and step-by-step step for each of them. I've drawn a donut and a, and a pizza and a cupcake, and uh, they turned out pretty well. Is this, okay, is this a book to teach drawing or an ad for buying fast food? <laughs> it is a book to teach drawing, yes. And do you feel like you would, you're a better drawer now? Like, what you should have... I'm, I'm, yeah. Well, how, how long have you been at it? I have probably done it for about, I've probably done a total of six days. <laughs> they were all in a row. 
and I kind of I kind of fell so off. So you it, so. you did the me and Phil learning guitar thing where you try it for a week and then you just kind of fall off the wagon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's definitely as much as I, I I did it, but it was a very enjoyable process, and I could see myself picking it back up. I feel like I feel like a lot of people like that's like the hot button thing. It's like oh, like everyone needs to know how to code. Like, that's such an important thing to know how to do. It's- it's absolutely oh, no, important, it, but everybody does not need to know how to you know, code. But Everyone like, needs to know how to navigate, like, the Windows desktop. Yeah, that's that's a much more, like, everybody should yeah. know this skill. Or Coding, how, to use, how to use Google. Yeah, like, I don't need to know how to code for what I'm doing. Yeah. Right? But I feel like it's such a, like, it's such, like, an overplayed, everyone should, like, this should be taught in every school, and everyone should be learning how yeah. to do this. <laughs> and, like, it's like, no, no like, not everyone is gonna, is gonna, like... <laughs> Jesse's just gonna be teaching his English class. He's like, I'm glad that I learned Java. Like, yes. you know, I love my coding experience. I do have though. It's yeah, but like, it's not gonna be. It's not like as overplayed. Like it's it's. I just think That's it's true. overplayed because like there's like oh kids should learn how to code and we should do all these code academy and like help I them with. I just love scratch. your language, Phil. That you said overplayed instead of overrated. It's just like <laughs> the, the, the gamer in you. And we're all just kind of accepting that. It's so overplayed. Like, it's like a song on the radio. <laughs> so I think uh, overrated is not the right word here because I think coding can sometimes be underrated in terms of like some people don't say like, okay, it's not worth it because I think it can be worth it. But I say overplayed in terms of like it's brought up a lot where I feel like it's brought up a lot in terms of, like, education. Okay. But, like, I don't think it's overrated okay. in the sense that people think that it's, like, a magical fix-all. Sure. You know? But I think sure. it's overplayed in that I feel like the emphasis, there's such a huge emphasis on getting, like, little kids to start coding. And, like, I just don't get that. For people who know how to code, it's rated exactly as high as it should be. It's a necessity. Mm-hmm. But for everybody else... You really don't need to know it. So, yeah, I think overplayed actually is the right word. But I would also say that, like, and this goes back to some of our conversations last week, in terms of what the educational system is giving to students right now, there is no coding. And I think it, I think I'd be hard pressed to say that coding is that much less important than, I don't know let's say physics yeah right i think the most valuable thing with teaching coding at a younger age is logic and rationality true and figuring out like if then general like those general concepts i think those are good sort of to know and like that sort of like discrete math sort of stuff of like if then or and stuff like that and it like Coding is a good tool to do that because it gives it gives them something to do and it produces something, you know, because if you just take a discrete math course and you just write on your paper, if like P or Q, therefore X or whatever, then that's boring. But if you have some sort of code that actually does something for you and it also like teaches you like, okay, you have to evaluate conditions and you have to make sure things only happen at a certain time and stuff like that. And so I think, like, that aspect of coding is good, but, like, the actual, like, knowing how to code itself, that's overplayed. I think it's also just this very kind of, like, engaging intellectual activity 
for young kids, you know? And yet it's using, it's stimulating the same amount of intellectual activity as any other school subject. But it's incredible, like, the rate of engagement when you teach fifth graders how to code, you know? And especially when you consider school as something that for most students is kind of a binary. Like, it's either, yes, I like school or no, I don't. And that's just a general thing. If you introduce coding as something that, you know, 85% of middle schoolers can get behind, then all of a sudden you're, like, starting to move a lot of these people into the yes category for, okay, I can, I can do this school thing. You know, that's, that's huge. And the thing, the thing that is good about coding, especially with the middle school context is it, it gives you, you learn while you create, you know? True. It's like immediate feedback too. And it's like with physics, you sort of learn while you experiment, and that's sort of creation in in, it, in and of itself. But like with something like math, right? It doesn't feel like you learn while you create. You know, you're not creating anything. You're just learning. Two plus two equals four, and there's no creation. But with coding, is you're creating something, and then you have to solve problems along the way. And so I think that's part of the reason why it's why it does move a lot of people into the yes category. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. I'm just rambling out of my ass now. Well, well, here's something. If we're talking about things that should be added to the curriculum, what things should be taken out of the curriculum, or at the very least reduced, to make room for other things? Uh, we almost had this conversation last week. That's a really good question. I'd start with a foreign language. language or something that I think yep. could be reduced. Yeah. Uh, in in America, at least, there is not much of a practical benefit to, like in middle school and high school suddenly start teaching students a second language that almost certainly they're not going to stick with. Yeah. Right. Like Max and I are probably in the exact same boat because we both did uh, public schools. So it's, what is it? Sixth grade, you take like three weeks of French, Spanish, and German and you pick whichever one you want to learn for the next two years. And then you take it for seventh and eighth grade. And then, basically, you're guaranteed of starting over once you hit high school, and you learn the exact same thing in your first right. year of foreign language in high school. So by that point, you're already checked out, because you don't care, because you already either learned it, and you know it, or you didn't learn it, and you don't want to try to learn it again. And then you have another, like, two or three years of it. It, uh, yeah. And it doesn't ever, I don't know, I don't know how it felt with you, Max, but to me, it didn't ever feel like we actually made progress on it. Right. No, I never I never felt like that. Yeah. Like we learned almost every tense in French, which was I guess cool, but like I at no point did I ever have a moment where I was like, "Wow, I'm actually like learning how to speak French." Right. It never it never felt like I made progress in how much French I knew. It's a really good point. So like I would limit it I would limit it to like 2 years tops. Like cuz most middle schools offer a language already, so high schools don't need to require it. Most middle schools do already. So, like, if, if, someone's, if someone starts in middle school, which most students do, and they get invested in it, they're not going to just not take it. So, like, if you offer it but not make it required for four years, that's definitely the route to take. Right. Well, and so now this is sort of the question we mentioned last time, which is, like, how specialized do you allow students to get early on? Because, like you mentioned, John... If if you if you specialize too early, then you run into the issue of oh, what if this isn't what I want to do? Actually, 
and I took all the wrong classes in high school. Whereas if you force all the students to take the same classes, you don't have that issue. Right. Yeah. But I gave it a little bit of thought and like, at the very least, your first two years of high school should be highly regulated in what classes you take. And then, um, the going forward, it would depend on like, I would, I would, I mean, I'm a science fan, but like going forward beyond that, it should be a little more elective. Yeah, I feel like at, at that point, you'd know at least if you're going towards science or away from science. Yeah, like, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be science, but, like, by that point, you know if you enjoy math or not. Or not, it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be enjoy at that point. It has to be, like, because what's your motivation for taking a class in high school? So most people, I'm not, I, not most, but there are definitely people that are just going to be like, oh, I'm good at this, let's keep doing it. Right? To get the grade yeah. or whatever. So, like, if you're good at math, even if you don't necessarily like it yet, you're going to keep taking math classes because it's easy to you. So, you're going to get the right. A. Right? So, I think after sophomore year of high school, you should offer more electives or optional classes and make them, like, more college-like so they're, like, really interesting as opposed to, like, oh, like, Calc 1 is optional. Like, do a science class, but do a science class that's, like, all about AI or something. Mm. Right, it's sure. it's hard because you're limited by the number of teachers, but you should, if you're gonna make them optional, you should be able to at least specialize a little bit with them and make them more, like specific than oh, chemistry's optional. Like I'm not saying everybody's right. got to learn chemistry, but like if you're gonna do a chemistry elective, make it interesting. Make it like oh, here's the chemistry of explosives and talk all about bombs. Well, maybe that's not the best idea for high school. <laughs> all right, I'm not saying I'm not saying like that was just the first example that came to mind. Bad example. But you know what I mean. You know what I mean. So, like, it's it's a nice two-year trial period to kind of start to see if what you think you want to do is what you want to do. Or maybe discover something new. Or, like, it, I, I don't see a negative to it. Yeah, I think it's reasonable to expect juniors in high school to be able to choose between, like, STEM or non-STEM. It's as simple as that, right? You can go towards science-y, math-y tech classes or... Or not you know, that. Social sciences, lit, like, you know, those yeah, types of classes. And and not not to say that, like, history and English are, so are like, the same, because they're not. But, like, the emphasis, the emphasis placed on subjects is STEM or not STEM. So, like, if you know yeah. you're going to be STEM, great. If you don't, you got the other options. Like, I, I, I'm, right. I'm with you on that. I think by that point, especially considering, especially considering, like, the second you hit high school... I don't know if this is the same for you guys, but the second I hit high school, every family member's like, so what do you want to study? What do you want to do? And right. it's like, I don't know. But by junior year, it's like science. It's absolutely science yeah. by junior year. I mean, coming in, it was probably science or math, but it just like the first two years locked me in as like, I'm going to study some kind of science at, for sure. And I feel like by junior year, everybody's going to know that. And if you don't, then like, okay, great. You can still like pick up all these electives and cover a bunch of different bases with them instead. And, like, do a grab bag and do, like, oh, here's an English elective. Here's, like, Beatles Lit. Here's, like, the chemistry of something. And, like, just cover a whole bunch of different fields and explore a little bit. Right? But then you don't have to go to college as the exploratory major. Which is really stupid to call it that. So, the thing is with, like, language classes then is, like, okay, they're not doing what they're supposed to. But then I feel like we need to, like, reevaluate a little bit about what they're supposed to be doing. Because I think a lot of times with the language classes, you're saying, oh, I'm not learning the language. I'm not, it's, I, I miss the point, right? But I think it's, I think like language classes are more than just learning the language, but it's also about the culture behind it. If that makes sense? 
it's getting a greater sense of the world beyond just... Well, then it's not a language class at all. It's a culture class, which I'm all for, but to call it a language class is stupid. Like, right now, if you're going to give me a French language class, I expect to learn the French language. I don't need to know about the food they eat. I don't need to know about the holidays they celebrate. I want to learn the French language when I take a French language class. If you want to offer me... If you want to offer me a French culture class, totally different thing, should be separated, mm. and I'm all for it. See, I don't think you can decouple those things, though, because, like... Because the language influences the culture, and the culture influences the language. Okay, but you have to treat it like... You have to treat it like two classes that you have to take together, not one class that covers mm. both. You can't learn the culture and the language in one class period of time. You would need yes, two. You can. I think you yes. would need two. Like I'm not. I'm not saying they need to be separate classes at, at at this point. But if you're going to do that, you're going to be more. You're going to be able to learn what you need to teach or what needs to be taught if you have a double period of that. Well, if we're if we're sort of like repurposing or splitting up classes and adding new ones, you could also split up like history classes into sort of like a global civics class, right? Global civics meaning like the world as it is now sort of thing yeah like like which which countries are democracies and which ones aren't that i feel like i should have learned that you know there and, and also you there are like things you read about the news where it's like i didn't even know that was a country you know what i mean like i don't i know nothing about this country what what even is it and it's like you don't even learn about it in history because it's, it's not history yet yeah exactly and but i feel like it'd be more useful to learn than history. right than history. like if, if you're gonna require... not not that history isn't useful if you're going to require a class that should be learned, I would say a geography class because you have to, like, not just where is everything, but, like, you learn about these places and, like, what's going on. Like, a current events slash geography hybrid class would be a really good class that everybody right. should know. But here's the issue with that is now you run into, like, this is the same reason why it's hard to teach, like, a government class, which is that now people are suddenly very concerned with the political leanings of the teachers that are teaching it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's also like something like global civics, it's sometimes difficult. I You can't fully separate it from history because you say, okay, there's, yeah, of course, yeah. there's like the conflict here. Okay, why is this conflict? Well, we had, now we have to learn about... Wait, which is why I think it should be sort of thing. like merged with history, where it's like you're not just learning about what happened, you're learning about how, like what is happening now because of that. Mm-hmm. But then it's also like, to play a little bit of devil's advocate, if you learn the history that's useful, what who's to say that that history won't be irrelevant um, later on? Like, for example, like, I don't know if this is controversial, but the Arab Spring, right? When there were a bunch of revolutions in the Middle East. Okay. When's the last time you heard stuff about that? Well, is it, is it still not relevant to, like, the situation, you know? Well, okay, so so that's the thing. Is it is it relevant enough to be talked about in a in a civics class? At the time, at the time I think it was. To be fair, we don't hear about the Middle East that much. So, it, right now it's not relevant, right? But when we were in history, I don't know exactly when it happened, but it was it was happening while we were we were in school and in that history stuff. And so that's when we would have learned about it, right? We would have learned okay. about it and then in connection with that, we would have learned the history behind it, right? And sort of the format that we're talking about is that right. we, have, we have current issues and we learn the history behind them. But how is that useful to me now? Because the well, Arab Spring isn't, it... ha isn't relevant anymore. And so the history that I learned isn't relevant. But if you paid attention to the Middle East, then it's still relevant because everything that's happened since then has been 
so stemmed from it would that. it would make sense like it would it would help you pay attention to what's going on in the middle east now because you'd actually know what countries were there yeah just because you don't hear about the middle east in the news now doesn't mean the shit that they're dealing with isn't coming from as a somewhat direct result of that yeah but right? but then but then that just you just expand that to everything else that's happening in the world and then everything else is a current issue that we then have to learn about. And that's yeah, just why should you not is. know about the world that you live in? Well, then you're just saying have a history course because... No, because it's, it's, it's stuff that applies to your life. But the Arab Spring doesn't apply to my life. I do, I do think that, yes, the sort of you need the modern more. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that if you're, if you're just teaching to current events, that doesn't prepare as well for future events that might not be as related. I disagree. I think that if you learn about current events, it it makes you much better at following along with current events. Whereas if you only learn history, then it completely unprepares you for learning about like concepts that didn't exist at history and that are only a modern thing. Like if you're talking about the countries in the Middle East, they didn't exist. Like almost none of them existed prior to World War II when like all the land was split up in a certain way you know what i mean mm-hmm. and and we learn about none of that but the thing is like with that sort of idea right every like history in that sense like you're sort of basically saying history every history is connected and one event leads to the next right but then like i feel like i feel like you sort of if you want to like teach backwards right if you want to talk about this idea of teaching backwards you say okay here's this event that's happening why is this happening okay well here's this event in 1970 that happened well why did that event happen and you know, and you're just sort of you end up keep going back and back until you no. do come back to the beginning, right? Because like you have to understand history, like you have to understand it the current events in the context of history, and history also has to be understood in the context of history. So you so you can't you can't talk about what happened at current events without, in a sense, going back to the beginning anyways. Because no, but here's what you do. Here's how you run this class. I'm okay. gonna just tell you right now. You guys can use this idea all you want if you ever go into teaching civics. All right. You, te- you start with, I mean, ideally, the year that your parents were born and everything that would have shaped your parents' lives. And, Phil, before you say this, I'm going to stop you right there. You're going to say, oh, well, your parents were shaped by your grandparents, so you got to go back to that. And they were shaped by their parents. No. You cut it at where your parents were influenced. Because your parents is a baby, like, great. Then it's not going to fucking matter. Right? But, but you, can't, to, you it, can't do that because then you're teaching outside of the context of what happened previously. No, because you don't need what happened previously at that point. Like if and the, and here's here's my response, Phil. At that point, if you want what happened previously, study history. And personally, personally, I would rather understand what's going on in the Middle East than know about the Roman Empire. Yeah, for sure. So then I have two things. So in a sense, I feel like I'm talking then about this about scope, right? Broad broad scope, less depth. And you guys are saying like, hey, the important thing is current events and let's go in-depth about those and miss some of the scope, right? Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that I, like, this is my own personal beef and you guys can agree whether, like, I assume Max will agree with me based on how this conversation's gone. But let's just look at uh, U.S. history, AP, A-Push, uh, junior year of high school, right? Mm-hmm. We obviously, as most history classes go, you start at the beginning and work your way forward. Most of the time, and this is true of all classes, but we're going to apply it to history because it's relevant. Most of the time, by the end of the school year, you run out of time to teach the last chapter. Mm-hmm. And the last chapter of U.S. history is the current event chapter. 
So, great. I learned everything up to Reagan wanting to, Reagan bringing in the trickle-down economics. And I'm going to miss out how that applies to my life because that's where the connection would start for me. Mm-hmm. So, thank you, educational system. Yeah. I don't know why the 2008 economic crisis happened. That's my stance. So, the if we're talking about this, right? So, I'm curious to think, how do you deal with the cutoff then? Do you just say like, hey... In 1950, this is how the world was, and we're not going to learn about why it was like that. But this is how it was, and now let's start from there. Like, how well, do you, Phil, how I think you're being a little harsh with like we're not going to be like when you start teaching about the Paleolithic age, you don't have to explain. All right, so in, in the beginning there was nothing, and then there was a big bang. Like you don't well, have yeah. to start at the beginning. You could just accept that this is the way things were, and to a well, certain yeah, extent, just... that is what you do in history already. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like for example. We learned about some of some of something about the Holy Roman Empire, right? Did we learn about the formation of the Holy Roman Empire? Right. No. We just learned, oh, that's a thing that exists, right? Right. Yeah. The Roman Empire fell, and then you get the Byzantines and the Holy Roman. It doesn't tell you how that was divided up or like why it's called Holy Roman or what. Like, yeah, Max is right. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's you you go from the fall of Rome to now we have these two empires. There was yeah. absolutely a transition that we are cutting off and skipping. So I think. In terms of usefulness, right? I definitely agree. This like current affairs idea is definitely more useful and applicable, right? But and this sort of goes back to the whole language discussion, language and culture, is that yes, it might be more useful to sort of learn to code instead of doing taking a language course, right? More useful, more practical, more applicable. But I think if you just do a, a current affairs sort of course that just looks at history in relation to current affairs only then again you're missing a little bit of the world worldliness that comes from a history course yeah that's the thing i feel like you're you're Mm -hmm. saying that it's impossible to teach the history of a certain era without first teaching the history of the previous era and i just don't think that's true no, 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 no so so my point there was more just just like language courses are meant to give you a little bit of an appreciation of the culture, the history courses are meant to give you a little glimpse into a greater appreciation of the world as a whole. And that doesn't mean I'm teaching all of history, right? It just means I'm teaching all the like major parts of history, not not necessarily so that you can understand current affairs, but that's so you can get a greater sense of where we come from, period. With all due respect, I would rather have a greater appreciation for the world today than the world 10,000 years yeah, ago. Yeah, absolutely. That's my beef with history, because my experience with almost every class I've taken in both high school and college is that you run out of time for the final chapter. And for history in particular, the final chapter is how all of the shit we just learned about relates to today. And that's the most important chapter <laughs> yeah. to me. That's the one I need to learn. This is still the trial period. And also, uh, I did point out, before anybody else joined the call, this is technically our 10th episode because the trailer is 0-0. So this is the 10th time we've recorded, and I said we would do something special. So the something special is we lost all of Jesse's audience. <laughs> Just in case everybody was wondering for the, when the special part would happen, this is it. We have no audio for Jesse, basically. I always, like, never understood that, that, like, they're, like, these huge companies that are, like, owned by, like, secret bigger companies. Like, I was reading recently about, like, the, um, like, that Chinese, like, social game. Oh, Tencent? Yeah, like, Tencent, right? And, like, this is, like, a company you've never heard of, but then it's, like, well, they own, like, all these different 
they own, yeah, they like, own Riot League of Games Legends. And they own and stuff like that. Yeah. Like what? They own Blizzard. I don't know if it's Blizzard. It might not be Blizzard. I was just saying another big game company. Um, no, they own Riot and Epic. I think. I don't. Yeah, know. they own Epic. That's it. Yeah. But it's like this, like this, like shady. Not shady, but like. Yeah, it's kind of shady. Kind of shady. Like these secret mega corporations that right. technically own the businesses. I agree. Trusts are bad. That's all. That's all I got. <laughs> One might even say I don't trust them. Boom. Although I do care about my privacy a lot less than the average person. I would say that. Yeah, you know. Okay, yeah, that's that's true. I hear a lot of people say like, "Aren't you worried that Google has all your information?" Like, and it's like, no. not re- no, 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 not really. No. Like people are saying, "Oh, I was just." I was just browsing, like, I just ordered this thing on Amazon, and then Google's giving me ads for this thing. It's like, yeah, because like, you bought that's it. That's good. Like, I, I want yeah. that next thing. Also, <laughs> yeah. thank you for knowing that yeah. about me, Amazon. That's great. Yeah, I love that. I haven't, like, researched it too much if there's, like, a concrete plan, but I don't know if you guys have been following, like, guys that dropped out of the Democratic primary, but Yang, I still follow him on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And, Yang Gang? Yeah, Yang Gang. You know how it is. And um, one of the points he's been pushing a lot recently is, well, obviously UBI because, you know, we're all home, but um, that if if companies are using our data and making money off of it, we should, like, we the people should see some of that money. And I don't know how that would work at all, but I mean, guy's got a bit of a point. No, that's an interesting concept. Yeah, I mean, it's a little like advertisement where it's like you are paying with your information well i feel like but here's the thing i feel like we are getting some of that money in a sense right because like when you watch an ad that's what you watching that ad is sort of payment for a free service like youtube right or there are a number of other totally free services that you don't have to pay for right Mm -hmm. but what you are paying with is your information so you are getting something out of that and it's whatever free service is collecting that information right like if you're using like like instagram right instagram is free do you want to have to pay for instagram no how does instagram make money well, in addition to ads, they also collect information. Do they need right? both, though? Or at that point, are they just trying to make more money? Well, it's always about making more money, right? But, like, would they you are, rather have to pay business, for Instagram? Right? Yeah, they, yeah. Right, but, like, ad, ad, I think ads Well, basically, now what you're saying is I think that companies should not make as much money as they can. Well, no, 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 because it, it's different. Like, saying, like, watching an ad pays for a company, sure, but... If, if you believe that your data is yours and it's your property, then for someone or something else to use that, there should be payment back. And I, I see the point that you can make the case that, oh, well, Instagram's payment for using your data is that you get to use Instagram. But I can use Instagram without Instagram using my data and just have ads. I can't. Uh, well... What do you mean you can? How? Like how? I'm like, sorry. Wait. It, I I need someone to connect the dots for me for a sec here. How does Instagram make money off my data? Selling it to advertisers. So this is I don't yeah I don't know if this is like a good example because there are different companies that do different things. But like many companies collect information and then sell it to third parties, yeah. like ads. mainly for the purpose of marketing research. Okay, got it. Like I don't see any other purpose it would be used for. It's yeah, it's mainly marketing research. It's like what are people looking at? What are people interested in? That sort of got thing. It. Okay. You know. And and you can split down obviously because you have demographic information, you can split down like what are, you know, 
young people between these ages interested in. You could break it down and all that sort of stuff. Then I don't understand. You can also do targeted ads and stuff like that. What's the separation between the distinction between ads and data? If data is just used to support people who are doing ads. Like John, you were saying how like uh, you know you can use what if you just oh there's, there's two ways add. for companies to make there's two ways for companies to make money but like and obviously since they both make money they're gonna isn't do both. the data already ads though like they collect their data and what make, do you mean well they make money off data by selling them to people to do ads right but they also put ads on the site yeah yeah there's the companies that okay. pay Instagram for the data and there's also companies that pay Instagram and are like hey put my ad up so the companies that pay Instagram for the data are not necessarily the ones putting the ads up on Instagram. Right. No, yeah. Right. They, that's they, they that's could, what I was They probably missing. are two different parties. Thank you. Sorry. Great. And Instagram probably also uses its own is, is its data our data, right, to market ads better and they and then they can tell advertisers, "Hey, we have a really good system that will target ads to your intended audiences a lot better." And so that's another way that Instagram itself could use data without necessarily selling it. Okay, so Max, my my view is that I use Instagram and Instagram is free. And my way of mm-hmm. paying for that is that I have to watch ads when I'm going through people's stories. Every now and then they'll slip an ad in. Or when I'm, when I'm on browsing right. and scrolling through posts, I'll see an ad. Right? That mm-hmm. is my payment for Instagram in my eyes. And so anything more than that, any like so that that's the equivalent exchange right there. That's equivalent. And then on top of that, they're taking my data and selling it. And I'm not getting a profit off of that. Uh, well, all right. When you signed up for Instagram, you agreed to a privacy policy that said exactly what Instagram can do with your data. So I would argue that you are paying like that is that is a you, prerequisite to use Instagram. You made that agreement to say I am yeah. OK with selling data, you selling my and so data if you're not OK with that, you shouldn't use Instagram like that is part of the price. OK, I feel like there is there is the danger of like data right our data of like it's a slippery slope before we end up like china right it's a yeah it's much different when it's the government you're using yeah. the data Ooh, and also distinction and also and another another good distinction is is the data anonymized because again like like we were talking about marketing data can mostly pretty much be anonymous right it doesn't need to be you don't need to attach a username or a real name to like individual data points because it's useful in aggregate but this, as soon as you start talking about selling data that you know, as usernames, yeah. Then I agree; it's it's absolutely dangerous. That is something under underrated about like proud to be an American. You know, yeah, like it really is. And even just in general, political corruption is the norm in most of the world, at least to to my understanding. I mean, it's here too, buddy. But well, not to the extent that it's like like we don't even get you, you know, know we don't get it. We really don't. Like the worst historical political corruption in this country is is nothing it's nothing compared to what other right other people experience mm-hmm. I, I i was reading about franco and like the fascists in spain and do you know they used to they used to take babies from their mothers and tell them that the babies had died if the mother was not specifically affiliated with the fascist party and then they would put them in these orphanages that only sold babies to fascist brothers, fascist parents. Like 300,000 babies. But Jesse, Europe's way better than America. They have healthcare over there. They, it, it's, they're, they're never it was, racist. Was, that can't... It was 50 years ago. It was literally only 50 years ago that was happening. Oh. Healthcare, healthcare is good, also. 
Yeah, healthcare well, is good. I'm not saying it's yeah, bad. Not, I'm just we're saying not, like we're not anti-healthcare <laughs> here on Rocket League and Ramble. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> All right. So my point then to respond to you, Jesse, is that yes, yeah, other countries definitely have it worse. Yeah. But we shouldn't trivialize the corruption in our own country either. It's all bad. True. True. Yeah, sir. And also, the corruption in our own country, we are more directly equipped to, like, deal with or change. Exactly. So, theory. Of course we're going to care about that more. And that's, like, the, the, the checks and balances that are in place in our system, I think, are just incredible. Our country, our government has lasted for over 200 years. That's amazing. Like, is there a country in Europe that has their, like, current government... That's lasted for that long? I don't actually know. Well, maybe, they also but like, had like a war fought on their ground. So it's a little bit like they had two world wars to, that were fought on their grounds that rearranged the continent twice in a century. That's true. We're, we're pretty isolated from like global conflict. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I, I got I pulled up the Internet because I'm not playing Rocket League right now. Uh-huh. And um, number one is Iceland. Their parliament has existed largely unchanged for the last 800 years. England has essentially had the same political system since the time of Henry VIII. And third is the United States since 1787. Fourth is Canada. That, wow. Yeah. So that is actually more than I would have Yeah, I'm not expected. Gonna lie. I thought the U.S. would be lower on that list. Yeah, I did too. Mm-hmm. And also, Iceland and the U.K., like we were saying, Henry VIII, I, don't, I wouldn't consider that a democracy. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I distinctly remember Henry VIII creating his own religion and just making everyone follow it. Uh-huh. I should also mention I'm getting this from Cora for the, okay. whatever yeah. that's worth from Stephen Hancock, who has a BA in political science. So I'll keep looking around. Thanks, I wonder if Steve. there's a Wikipedia, Wikipedia articles. Wikipedia loves to have like lists of ranking this stuff. True. Yes. So I wonder if there's a Wikipedia article. Cause I trust that running government in the world. Yeah. I have a question. Because we brought up Iceland. Can anyone think of a historical event that happened in Iceland? Iceland doesn't count. Like, I don't... I don't... Iceland has a total population of less than 300,000 people. That's less than oh Buffalo. Oh, my God. I know. I was about to say. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> we could fit all of Buffalo in Iceland. And Buffalo isn't even that big a city. Oh, I'm sorry. That was specifically Iceland, native Iceland people. The total population oh. is 360,000. Oh. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. That makes a big difference. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> thanks for thanks for catching that, buddy. I got you. Really I appreciate you. it. Don't worry. Wow, it's bigger than Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, that on the fact checking, Netherlands and Switzerland, uh-huh. there is a uh, Wikipedia list of republics and when okay. each country is started as a republic. And England, Netherlands, Switzerland all became republics before the United States, but United States is fourth on that list. In terms That's of still... democracy, I not I saw another list that confirmed it was ranking the highest democracy, the longest reigning democracies ever, like in history. So number one was like Athens, right. and okay, U.S. Yeah. was number seven on that list, with the only modern ones still being Iceland and England. And PolitiFact took Paul Ryan when he said the U.S. is the oldest democracy in the world and fact-checked it and gave it a true rating. So, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. So the, I, I'm actually surprised by that. I'm almost certain that, like, you, someone would say, oh, um, actually, there's, like, this. But, no, I'm actually surprised how, how much that statement holds up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
that was probably a shit show of an episode. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know about any of you guys listening at home, you guys and gals. But to me, it it did feel like something was missing. I'm not sure what. It just didn't. It wasn't clicking tonight. And honestly, I do think part of that is due to the fact that we were missing somebody. In case you didn't pick up on it, our fifth host, Springborn, was unfortunately unable to join us tonight. Uh, really, really sad. And we do hope, sincerely, we sincerely hope that he'll be able to join us for the next episode. So please come back because you have to meet Springborn. So I feel like if he was here, we would have had a better episode. But he wasn't. That's it's unfortunate. It really is. Anyways, bye. Does anybody does anybody want to take the the end cut like the, the the little blurb at the end? Does anybody want to bring it home and just give a little uh, shit to talk about? I, I can I can do it. If you guys want. If, to does do anybody it. want to like or like right no. away? Because I can just say shit. I can I can I'll do it. I'll do it. All right, all right. Go ahead, Phil.